Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Costa Mesa, Alice. How are you? What does that mean? Yeah. It was one of those towns when I lived in Southern California for a stretch after high school. Oh. Absolutely. Costa Mesa, Alice. So this is this is the thing here. I want you to listen to this uh, audio and tell me what it is. Well, creepy old Burger King, this is about the last time I will see you. <sighs> I know what it looks like back there. That is video of a woman checking out a hidden, closed-off Burger King. Hmm. Vintage Burger King, and it's got old stuff from 30 years ago, whatever. It's very yeah. dated. Vintage Burger King restaurant found fully intact behind a wall at a mall in Delaware. Hmm. Now, this is a fast food blast from the past. This is from Yahoo, so who knows who wrote it. A post went viral on Tuesday after a Twitter user shared a photo that reportedly shows a fully intact vintage Burger King behind a wall at a mall in Delaware. Twitter user Real Jazzy Belly wrote that the photo was taken by Jonathan Pruitt in April of 2022 in the Concord Mall. Can I just add a quick editor's note here, which is that I love when news articles have to cite a Twitter user's handle like just as is because they have no idea who the person is. Right. Twitter user Jesse Belly, whatever, 3275 says, like, like they're like quoting somebody that you should know. It just always cracks it, me up. I'm still creepy, not over it. It's kind of a pre creepy picture, but mm-hmm. uh, yes. Um, so, so the vintage, vintage look is, they found it. It's behind a closed off wall in a mall. And I love this stuff because I love ruins of old places and places that are closed yeah. down. And this one's like this one's preserved. Huh. It's of course it's creepy because you know the, the lights are half on, half off, and the the chairs are all there, and it's it's just interesting. And, and dang, I just dig that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I try to think. Like, how many times have I seen stuff like this? I, I think we yeah, have. We seen stuff like this? maybe when, when we visited the racetrack place. The racetrack, yeah, along the Charles River. On was that near Morrissey Boulevard? Is that what that is? No, it wasn't Morrissey. That's in Dorchester. It's that near was, like Soldiers Field. Yeah, Road, Soldiers kinda? Field Road. There's an old. That was an old racetrack with uh, carriage races. Um, and we went into the uh, field house and saw stuff that had been there like a hundred years ago. Yeah, we have. A, we still have the Coke can, right? Yeah, that we found there that was like from the seventies or something. From the, yeah, like from the nineteenth seventies exactly. But the commandant's house—that's what it was—was was still mm-hmm. there, and it was totally preserved. It's it's just it's owned, it's owned by the state of Massachusetts. We just snuck in, and like there's old road signs, etc. In there, it's just it's total waste. I mean, the thing is beautiful, but it was awesome. It's so weird when stuff like that happens when things just end up in the junk heap that are all mm-hmm. this, you know, this. It was people's lives, you know, it was like real stuff that was happening. Like, think how many designers and marketers and all this stuff went into making that Coke can that's now just sitting in an abandoned building that's going to be torn down. You know, it's like funny. Hadn't been touched since it was since 1967. Right. It's crazy. When the world was very, very different. Yeah. I'm trying to think, was there somewhere else that that we had talked about where where there was the remnants of a place? There must have. I, 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 I thought when I when I saw. Well, the, you know what oh, was kind of like that, yeah. but was different was when we because we for a while had an obsession with going to open houses for houses we had zero intention of actually buying, and we managed to convince this person to let us see their house that they were trying to sell in Winchester, mm-hmm. that was like this gorgeous old house that had been done what like in the sixties you think, but it had Custom like crazy built. shag carpet oh, yeah. and all this like like mad. Men era like ovens and appliances and it was amazing we had, we had absolutely no capability financially to buy the house it, whatsoever we totally because, like i feel bad i feel like we tricked the guy into getting well, to wander through the house well, they were selling it for seven hundred thousand at that point mm-hmm. and it was like stuck in 1970 but that thing is easily if it's been fixed up now it's oh. easily a two million dollar house there's no way it's not yeah easily easily it was like a huge corner beautiful lot in yeah. like a back of the so whatever neighborhood in Winchester yeah so uh, as I was bouncing around in my early 20s um uh, uh, between jobs I used to go to this place in Boston that used to give you jobs when we went there a temp agency mm-hmm. okay so they said okay we can hook you up with a bank and we, you can be a bank teller and this is right before I got into the hotel the Omni Park house so I was 23 or 24 whatever it was I was highly overachieving anyway so, I forgot what I had been doing. I, I guess I had been fired from the Marriott, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure. So, I have to go to this place in, in, um, in Court Street in Boston and take training to learn how to use the banking system, the CMS, Content Management System. Mm-hmm. This is all green screen, though. So, this is whatever. So, they're teaching us how to fly to use the system. And then they threw me in, into the U.S. Trust Bank in um, Kenmore Square. Which was which was probably a Bank of Boston or Bay Bank or whatever, mm-hmm. and but but the building is an odd shaped building in the middle of Kenmore Square that's very rounded. If you guys know, it's like on one peninsula there's the Petria Unos or used to be, and then separating like Brookline Avenue and Beacon Street is was the U.S. Trust Bank, which I'm sure now is another bank. But anyway, Kenmore Square, of course, had its heyday, you know, and previous to that, when everybody needed banks. So this bank was kind of cavernous. 
walking to the bank and it was cavernous, it, it, very high ceilings and and um, and of course it was um, it was very cool to work in a bank for a short amount of time. There's a, there's a thing that they do when the first two people get there is they walk around the bank and crisscross each other in case they're going to be robbed. It's this kind of thing that's supposed to draw out robbers. And then they go in and I got my my I had my I got my uh, it's the first time I ever seen a million dollars actually that she showed me <laughs> the, the one the girl Ting her name was showed me it was all of course not surprisingly all girls and then Tom Shattuck <laughs> and so but there were there were uh, there were female bathrooms in a female lockers in dressing room area that's how busy this bank was at some point and there was male lockers in dressing room area as well which was of course all mine because there was no males and males hadn't worked there and it was really right of 1955 and there was benches in there like a like a normal like locker room and there were showers in there and it was private mm. bathrooms etc and it was amazing in that old cold like government feeling brick uh tile etc in there and in the building you could go downstairs to the basement of the bank and there was a door into the green line subway Huh. Which was like done in a, like eighty years ago as well. In case you needed to get into the Green Line subway, wow! So that was really cool because that was essentially all abandoned stuff just to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you wonder it's places that were once so thriving and busy, like you know that when I was in um, in high school, my mother got me a job on a cruise ship, mm-hmm. which was then from the uh, Chandris Cruise Line, which was a Greek cruise line, and the, the boat was called the Galileo. It was an old transatlantic boat, so these these are the babies that can really these aren't flat hulled boats that are just due from from Disneyland to the private island in Disneyland. These are real ocean liner boats. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so I worked on that, which was an unbelievable thing for like six or eight months. I missed part of the school year. I should have just kept working on boats and never gone back to school. I mean, all sorts. Of, it was just a wonderful. You know, we used to just hang out in the lounge and the in the in the casino and a couple of the bars. And much like Titanic, there was I, I, because I was um, a white front of the house person and an American. We were treated. It was all by nationalities. It was crazy. So, like, I, I ate up with the officers. Me and my mother ate up with the officers, and and but there was nobody. It was just uh, Americans and Greeks were allowed up there, and then. You could eat in the dining room if you were British, um, a, a different dining room. But then everybody else had to eat in, in essentially in the boiler room in hell for the. Oh for the wow! Room. But it was. But I, I also got to be go to the front of the house and and drink at all the bars and, and it was it was a very good place to be. So and to check out all the music all the time when I wasn't working. I was a photographer, so when I wasn't working, which would be long work hours, but what's work when you're on a cruise ship and you're 15 or 16? And you're taking pictures. I mean, it's right. not like you're exactly. <laughs> well, scrubbing biggest, toilets or no, something. The biggest part, of the, and, and, and the guys I worked with, they were all from England. Some of them were just a couple of years older than me, so like 18 and 19. They were all much more worldly because I was an American, or as they called me, a fat American at the time. But they're all worldly, all funny bastards, all fantastic. These guys were so much fun, and it was just a dream come true. And we hung out, of course, in the in the photog in the uh, development room, um, processing room, where you process mm-hmm. the pictures with a color processor. You get to kill all the lights and start the processor, put the liquid in the thing, and then and then it was two minutes and fifteen seconds or something that it took to col- get stuff to color process to be then cut mm-hmm. out. And it, that was exactly the length of uh, Sound of Silence from Simon and Garfunkel. So they just play that. And it's like, when it's done, it's done. And then they torture each other. And they used to walk at me like 
or to each other, like with a lit cigarette, because they'd all smoke inside then, and like, like t- take your twist your arm behind your back or something just to torture you, because torture me or the other guys. But it was awesome because it was horrifying because all you saw, see was cigarette butts, the cherries in the, to- in the dark coming towards you slowly. <laughs> like Tom, we have something for you, old boy. Have something for you, old boy. Now you can just take your beating or you can uh, resist, but it's going to be tough either way. And all the British sense of humor. We're getting a beating but, 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 but while being charmed by Were a Were you Brit- already a big Beatles fan by this point, oh, too? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we talked about the Beatles and we played The Hard Day's Night and, my, and the guys watched it with me. and they Oh, oh, oh yeah. So, so anyway, so that cruise ship, the Galileo, we knew every part of it, every part of the back of the house. This is why I've seen every single movie that came out in 1987 in some of 88, I've seen them a hundred billion times. I used to go into the movie theater and just watch the movies again. And Big was out then, but Tom Hanks and and uh, and it was really it was like it was just nonstop. You knew every part of the ship, and and there was the there was the crew, the 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 steerage crew uh, bar too, which was fantastic, which was in the back near the engines of the ship. And the, and the beer was warm and crappy, and it was wonderful. But like, I was 15. I was like, this is the best thing in the world. And so, But anyway, the way you bring that up is like all that life and stuff that went on in that ship, not to mention above the pool with the, with the, with the cruise directors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the USS Gal- the, no, sorry, the SS Galileo. And make sure you, you know, we're going to do our lifeboat stations. And then uh, shuffleboard, and we'll do a little bingo. And they had the same like used jokes that they do. <laughs> All young, good-looking American guys use most of them from radio disc jockeys would get these gigs. Mm-hmm. So there was all, they were all funny. They all, the, one of them got, was caught in the elevator having sex and the elevator opened on the main <laughs> door. So, no. so anyway, so this, so I, I worked with this in the ship in the, in the eighties and it was wonderful and fantastic. And then, and then something, um, right around the time the movie, the Titanic came out, Mm-hmm. Um, which is like 97, right? I guess, yeah. So this is, uh, yeah, so this is more than 10 years after whatever. A story comes out that, that was ridiculous and awful, and I thought, this was one of the first times I thought that maybe we needed to be nuked as a as a civilization, all of us. Okay. So a, a story came out where a fire broke out on a cruise ship in the near, off the coast of India somewhere, and... The cruise ship was in peril, and so it was beginning the process of sinking at some point. So they had a bunch of people, even though this took days to happen, they had a bunch of people, or maybe two days, or maybe a day. So they got everybody off in lifeboats and started to drive the lifeboats uh, t- towards the shore. Mm-hmm. This was this was near shore. Nobody was in really danger. It's, the lifeboats, you know, it was near land or whatever. And the, the passengers started singing the theme from the Titanic as they're in their lifeboats, not in danger. But, oh, my goodness. Wow, it's just like the Titanic. Let's sing. Every night in my dreams. Right. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are. <laughs> exactly. Which is like totally disgustingly self-indulgent. Like, we're just like the Titanic people who died. We're also at sea, too. Yeah, we're also. <laughs> we're just like Leo and Kate now. And now we're codified uh. for... That sounds like something that would happen now. Are you totally, sure? totally, it would happen now. Disgusting. So anyway, you know, I, 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 every few years after that, I thought about that story and I thought, did that really happen? That people went in the sinking ship, <laughs> and only later, about ten years ago, I googled the ship and googled the name it used to be, and it was the cruise ship I worked on. It was. Yes, 
That was the cruise ship I worked on. So all those <laughs> lounges and the Lido Deck Bar and all that stuff, these places where so much happened to my life and many people's lives is at the bottom of the sea now. You know? Huh. And it's yeah. just, it, it, anyway, it just reminds me of my secret Burger King. It is. But, you know, it reminds me of the show that I started to make you watch with me last night because I'm, like, obsessed with this podcast slash YouTube show now called The Fall of Civilizations, where they, like, go through civilizations that have collapsed. And, like, a bunch of these places were, like, huge... That have what? Collapsed? <laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> what? You're missing a vowel, <laughs> Collapsed? They have collapsed, correct. They haven't... <laughs> Collapsed. That's what happens when people approve in a stadium and they no. want to make noise for you. No, they collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there's all these civilizations and they like go through them. And that's like what's crazy about it to me is imagining all these just bustling societies and cities and essentially skyscrapers even you know thousands of years ago of people living out their whole lives in these big cities and in these big worlds where there are these big huge economies and people doing different differentiated jobs that all are fitting together in this complicated way and then it just like collapses into dust and is gone it's like that really wild amazing. to think about and i had no idea we were the last night's was about the, people- the maya yeah and who knew? I, I always look at that and I think, oh, it's okay, so there's a pyramid surrounded by rainforest. But that whole thing was cleared then. Right, because they did slash and burn agriculture. So, like, and in the was- 500s, like, thousands of, like, uh, you know, they collapsed, like, 500 years before Columbus even got to that region. So, it was like... But huge cities. Yeah, with huge cities on grids, with hundreds without, of thousands like of people, yeah. And then, and then they disappeared. And then, like, they take a step back for, like, a, a thousand years. Yeah, and don't regain the technology they had. It's that's amazing yeah. to me. That's amazing. But you it's should, really it just makes you think about like how tenuous everything is. It's just all hanging yes. by a thread at any given time and could all fall apart. It's really nuts. Totally. You know, and this guy does a whole history show where he does it with like dozens of different civilizations. Like it happens to all of them. It's not like some unique special thing that happens. It's like, you know, something that seems to happen relatively frequently in history is that all this stuff gets built up and then it just like falls apart seemingly overnight. You know, there's a war or a plague or a whatever, some kind of economic event, some kind of collapse, a climate event, and everything just goes away. All the stuff that you thought was there. Yeah. Bam, like it's gone and all of a sudden you're now like just peasants living in the rainforest again for the next few hundred years. Jeez. Like, that's when they, that's like that's when they, all the good people are dead and it's just the shaddocks or just the Tom Shaddocks who like don't know how to do anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is fine. We'll just sleep outside. <laughs> people are like, Didn't there used to be like huge buildings in your somebody must know how to make those again? And you're like, Not me. I don't know. So, uh, as far as politics goes, we can just brush through this, because we're going to play um, the, the interview we said we'd play. This is Al in Bloomfield, Connecticut, who's an extraordinary guy, yeah. extraordinary caller and uh, to my radio show yesterday, and I actually listened to it again today, and I'm I'm just thrilled. I, I could talk to this guy for eight hours. I think politics-wise, I think that I'm... He should have the show, not you, realistically Yes. <laughs> He's one of many, but yes, I completely agree with you. He would, of course... Freaking do a spit take when he saw the the salary, but the, but, <laughs> but here's my um. He probably makes more like on his pension. Than- yes, 
<laughs> yes, the the uh, interest on his four hundred one k is more. So so here's my thing: is that um, all? Is it um, the waspy uh, waspity Hutchinson Hutchinson who was Cassidy in Hutchinson? Waspity, yeah. I call her Alice because she's a wasp. It. She's a I lovely wasp, and you know, I get it. Good for her. Um, a lot of her, some of the stuff she said kind of uh, has fallen apart. She claimed that she wrote a note that actually looks like Trump's lawyer wrote. Um, she got a couple of things wrong. That seems that the limo stuff is wrong, etc. Well, yeah, and I love how they're being like, like, so the Secret Service is saying they have people willing to testify mm-hmm. that the stuff with him lunging for the steering wheel and trying to assault the Secret Service agent is not true, and. So then, like, the cope from the people that have been pushing this stuff... Cope? Cope. What's that? Like, it's, like, when you're trying to cope with something. Oh. So you react. Anyway. It's like they're say you know, so for days they've been making cartoons about it and talking about how, like... Trump was he's like a toddler. He's trying to assault the Secret Service agent. He's grabbing the wheel. He's a madman. Can you believe he had the <laughs> nuclear codes? All this stuff. And then, like, so the Secret Service is now saying that none of that happened, but they do affirm that he did want to go to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And they're like, see? So, yeah, some tiny details may have been a little bit off, but the main idea is still there. And you're like, but wait. Then why wasn't what you were saying Trump wanted to go to the Capitol? Because that obviously wouldn't be shocking or interesting at all if Trump wanted to go to the Capitol and the Secret Service went no I mean, that just wouldn't be a story. So they did what they always do, which is they lead with some shocking allegation and then they walk back 90% of it mm-hmm. and pretend that the 10% that's remaining was what they meant all along. Right, and I think that they're also, they're a little stuck here because I don't think Merrick Garland's going to do anything here, so I think that's... Oh, they're begging. That guy, mm-hmm. Mr. Like presidential Twitter historian Michael oh, Beschloss, he he's is. lost his mind. He's like begging oh. Gar- you, Garland, you must do something. This is treasonous. Like, yes, he said, he said it's the oh biggest thing that we've ever seen in the last century. <laughs> Please, seek enough, help. Enough, and enough of you people, including relatives of mine, who are just hoping and praying, saying, please, okay, this is it. Now, this... Our very foundation here is the smoking gun. If you need a validation based on Trump getting it stuck to him, then just get an effing shrink, okay? Enough, especially people over 50. Please stop it. It's disgusting. Did you see the thing, by the way, that I knew that? I don't know how to say this guy's name. The young guy, the guy who was the young guy on All in the Family. Rob Rob Reiner. Reiner. No, but he is a classic example of who I'm talking about. So this is what he tweeted today. This morning, this is what he tweeted. Hold on, before you go, are there periods in between words? Mm, No. There should be, probably. This is where the left is right now. (laughs) I can't. Okay. My dad died two years ago today. I miss him, but he's always with me. And knowing how much he loved a good come up in story, he'd be thrilled to see what's happening to Trump. That's how you memorialize your dead dad like are you sure can't keep trump out of the obit <laughs> i know my dad died two years ago today i'm very affected emotionally and now i'm gonna talk about how bad trump is like just- there's no better <laughs> tribute to, to your dad than displaying to the world that that your dad raised a bitch i mean like i don't just leave trump out of talking about the human the like really core human important stuff mm-hmm. in your life for like five seconds make one tweet that's just about how your dad died and not about trump like you don't have to have them both be in the tweet because otherwise you seem like you're a psychotic uh correct 
All right, should we go to my buddy Al in Broom, uh, Bloomfield? Sure, let's uh, talk to Al. Quick uh, editor's note before we jump to this um, this interview with Al. We had been talking, I had been talking on the show about the Wanda Sykes stuff that we'd played where she talked about how the coast, the elite coast, shouldn't have to listen to the middle of America and the middle, middle of America was stupid and all that stuff. So so he mentioned Wanda a couple times. That's what he's talking about. Enjoy. Let's see. Al in Bloomfield. Good day. Oh, uh, yes. Good day. You know, I was really disappointed in Wanda Sykes because hmm. she missed the whole point. She forget about people like me who grew up during a segregationist period mm. who went to segregation schools and all that and she can't see the achievement America has made I'm 70 years old so she can't see the achievement America made during that time when I was growing up I had to go to a segregation segregation school where the segregationist policy existed she can't see that and she can't see the amazing thing because she was arguing, she was talking. She she was she, she was talking about uh, supporting pre- support su- su- pre- supporting president. Now, right. Which- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. You can't understand is that Brown versus education was the president at the time. Yeah, because it was reversed. Mm-hmm. I was able to go to a segregate to an integrated school. She can't see that. And then she talk about Wal uh, in, in effect referring to Walmart shoppers. Black folks shop at Walmart's too. I hate to tell her that, but we do too. <laughs> and, well, right, because Al, it, it's not a. It's a class thing. She's an elitist, so she would yeah. never shop at Walmart. In you know, in her set, they drive really nice cars and they go to ex- exclusive places. But the rest of the country, black, white, Hispanic, and everything else, the rest of us are just trying to survive. <laughs> yeah, it makes no difference. And, and and what she don't see is that when she insults mid America, she insults black America at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like these attorney financial pimp who only show up when there's a death and they never show they never stay later to fix the problem like the attorney you was talking about they yeah never, ben crump yeah but so that's all i have to say well, you're right about that hey al let me ask you a question so do you remember being a kid when when there was segregation well, clearly? I, well i'll tell you i'll tell you what i was born in 1952 so obviously okay i grew up in school system, from elementary school to high school it was all 
So, and that includes bathrooms and water fountains. That includes everywhere. And you couldn't go into, I assume, you couldn't just walk into the Woolworths. Well, I'll put it like this, though. That was a store that's equivalent to uh, Macy's that was in my hometown. Hmm. That was a white, that was a water fountain for the white folks. That was a pyramid of water fountains. Then off the back of that was a little white bowl that say color. That's so what? So the little white bowl was the spill off from the from the good fountain, and that was for you to drink out of. And that was for color. They didn't call it black then; they called yeah. it colors, and that was it. God, <laughs> you know, people yeah. don't recognize. You know, people don't appreciate America because America is constantly evolving. It's changing mm. every day, and if you don't see that, then you don't respect the value of America. Al, did it's you feel like the, when you were just as a kid, just as a young man, did you feel? disdain from your fellow citizens from white citizens that did you feel that they scoffed at you and did you feel hate or was just was this just the system that was the system it was just a system because Hmm. you knew inherently that there were certain places you can't do can't go there were certain people you couldn't talk to and Hmm. there were certain girls you couldn't date it was just there and you knew it because you grew up in that system and you know there wasn't fear or anything else but it was just a system that existed. And that's why I despise the young folks today use the yeah. word systemic racism. That was systemic racism, not what we see today. Oh, the Al, you have, you have young girls right now, black, white, whatever, who, uh, who are angry that their, that their mommy got them the older model of Range Rover, and they consider themselves victims of racism oh. now. They're, making, they're stealing your experience, Al, and, and making it their own. Well, they talking about Range Rovers. We were lucky to have shoes. <laughs> so, so I just look at them. I say, you don't know what great society you grew up in today. And they don't respect it. They don't like it. They want to destroy it. And I find that repugnant. Because yes. This is a great country. It's constantly changing. And life has gotten so much better. Yes, absolutely. And but So, Al, then when you were, did you go to church growing up? Oh, absolutely. Well, I grew up in the deep south, so, you know, we all went to church on, you didn't even have to ask what you did on Sundays. You already knew. <laughs> so did, did, was the immorality of racism discussed openly in church, or was that oh, forbidden? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was discussed in church, and, uh, you know, it was discussed so much until the mayor, who was actually, who was white, mm-hmm. he came in to speak about that, to talk about the changes that was being made. Hmm. The desegregation of the schools that was being made. Uh, it wasn't, you know, I grew up in a town that people respected each other. Black and white, they respected each other. And they, and a lot of them was for change. And they wasn't these liberal white folks we see today. They crazy. <laughs> like on the sites. I mean, she's, you know, it was different. And I, could, I love the age I grew up in because hmm. I can live here today at 70 years old and to tell people about the changes that I saw personally in my life. I remember Martin King marching through Montgomery. Hmm. I'm from Birmingham. And guess what? He had to pass through my hometown to get to Montgomery, but he didn't stop because I guess he considered the black people their reaction there and we wasn't going to do nothing. But he, when you live through those changes, anybody, anybody, white, black, or any color who's 70 years old or Mm -hmm. over 70, they can talk personally about how that age affected them, and I hear, I hate to hear when I hear when I when I hear some of these black people talking about how black people are disadvantaged today and all that. I grew yeah. up in a family of seven kids, 
And we actually had two parents. And they sent, out of the seven, they sent six of us to college. So don't tell wow. me. Don't tell me you disadvantaged today when my parents back then could do that. How'd they do it, Al? Did you guys work, or did they save, or oh, did they take Oh, my the- father, my father owned his own business. He owned a painting business and a construction business. The man was phenomenal. Uh, he fed his family and took care. And my mother valued two things more than more anything else, spiritual beliefs and education. And mm. he drilled that into us to say that there's nothing to stop you but you. She always said, that was her God. favorite phrase, there's nothing to stop you but you. Isn't that so, such such a wonderful and important thing? If you have, in Barack Obama wrote about it in his book, The Audacity of Hope. Barack Obama had the audacity to believe that he could be whatever he wanted to be, which well, is I'll you, wonderful. Which is where I grew up at. It wasn't hope. You had to take your future in your hands and your mother and father. Because when I when I applied to college, nobody mm-hmm. told me to apply to college. It was expected of me to do it, to to order that college catalog, to fill out that application, to take the SAT and the ACT. It was just expected of me to do it. And but when I was growing up, my parents never asked me, or any of my sisters and brothers, did you do your homework? Hmm. It was just expected of you to do it. That was it. Wow. We need those values back. Al, my, 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 my fear is that too many... Too many families believe that they've been wronged, that they've been given a bad, a bad hand in life, and that it, it the government at some point will come to pull them out of their the, the ditch that they're in. And regardless of race, I just think that having that in mind that your that your destiny is not in your own hands is the recipe for a, a an empty life. Well, growing up in a, growing up in Alabama, you can expect anything from the government. You never asked for anything from the government because my parents felt that was disrespectful for you to put your family in that position. You were responsible for yourself, not the government. And now <laughs> people want people to give them something. And I'm looking at them like, get off your butt and work. <laughs> well, I also assume, Al, that in, in, in 1959, if the government came calling to your house, it may not have been good news. <laughs> it, was, it, was never, it was never good news. And one thing that my parents, that in the city I grew up in, it was humiliating and embarrassing and demeaning for you to accept. They didn't have food stamps back then, mm. but they have, uh, I think they called it relief. And they would give people relief. And those families were not respected very well in that community. Because if you so lazy, you got to accept relief, then you had a problem. And it was just sad. It's sad to see how things are today where everybody wants the government to give them something. Free stuff. Oh, yeah. So, Al, it's, you have, were those values that your family had, did your neighbors have the same values? or oh, were you? absolutely. Like, all my neighbors have mm. bought their own houses. We own our own. Houses. And it's amazing that back in the 40s and 50s, my parents bought that house. Yeah. My grandmother, who was a single woman, back in the back in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s, bought her own house as a single woman because she wow. worked. She worked a full time job in the cotton mills. Then after that, she owned an acre of land. She used to grow vegetables and sell those and get us out there helping her pick them and do all that stuff. But they were self sufficient people. Is what I'm getting at. 
all these people are self-sufficient. They but that's remarkable. Al, your grandmother was probably maybe two generations away from slavery. Maybe. Well, she was three. Three. So she was three generations. So where do these where does these values come? You're ripped out, or somewhere along the line, you you, you get ripped or sold out of uh, Africa, thrown into the United States of America as as chattel slaves, as property for labor. Well, that came from my great great grandfather. What he did, he was a slave, and my mm. grandmother used to tell the story all the time. He ran into the swamps of Alabama got some land and started building on that land and mm. growing stuff on that land. Then he started selling that stuff he was growing. That's the independence of generation after generation after generation. But now we have generations that mm. three generations on welfare, which makes no sense. To me, that's the meaning and it's disrespectful to African-Americans for these liberal politicians to say that's okay. It's disrespectful. Also, Al, I don't, and I don't hear this story enough. You're telling the story of your great great grandfather, and yeah. it seems to me that he he absolutely he he was he embodied the American spirit when we talk about individualism, responsibility. Well, see, that's what I'm talking about. America is a great country because yeah, my grandfather, we are what all can go from being a slave to owning land. Generation later. His grand, his daughter, his granddaughter could buy a house on a single, a single, a single woman could buy a mm. house on her own, which was unheard of. Because who put bank gonna live lend money to a single woman back then, black or white? Mm. And they then she could produce kids. Then they could produce kids that they sent all their kids to college. So don't make excuses today, as far as I'm concerned. Don't say because I'm black, I'm disadvantaged, and all that mess. No, you mentally disadvantaged. That's what it is. Yeah, what do you do? If you are you retired well, now? Well, I'm retired now. I'm old enough to remain. I'm old enough to retire. Seventy's not old anymore, Al. What did you do? <laughs> well, I worked uh, labor relations with mm. Pratt and Whitney for a number of years. For most of my career, I worked for them in labor relations. Uh, after I left them, I went to work for another insurance. I worked worked for an insurance company, mm -hmm. and I did what's called specialty claims with them. Then I went into another company, and uh, uh, I went to another company, and what I did was I lobbied for them at the state house for a while, and then I retired. Mm -hmm. I got tired of it. Actually, it's time for me to get out of here. Al, we need you back in the workforce, or in academia, for God's sakes. Please. Please. Well, you know, you know that's funny. That I was thinking about it after I retired. I started getting bored because you know you mm -hmm. travel a little, you travel a little, then you do this a little, then you wake up one morning, you do the same routine for forty, fifty years. You, you take a shower, get dressed, and then you <laughs> say, what do, "Where do I go from here?" <laughs> so yeah. I've been thinking about that. Yeah, you got it. It's 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 very tough to retire. My dad did the same thing. As soon as he retired, he had to do. He went. He joined the uh, loon committee. You know, to go count the loons in in ponds and oh yeah, did, did a thousand different things and made new friends from all different political spectrums. This that etc. But Al, you have got a story to tell, and it has well, been an well, absolute actually, honor talking to you. Actually, your father and I are not that much different. <laughs> I got so bored. I I, I volunteer for food shift. And That's I wish everybody would volunteer for that thing, because I've met people from all over who volunteer with me, and we're all retired, but, you know. But yeah, it's it's, it's wonderful, the people the, the people you the, that you meet when you go out and do things for people. 
You know, it's all all sorts of people from all political spectrums come together, and it's really that's what life is about. It's about, it's about helping each other. It's not about labels and this party or that party or whatever. And we're here for a finite amount of time. Here, we can be decent to each other as we as we're taking this journey. Al, I would love for you to be a um, regular caller. I think uh, I've loved this conversation. Okay, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your uh, show because it's a great show, and it points out the difference between people like Wanda Sykes. Mm. who don't respect this country, who want to destroy it, and people who want to build it. Here, here. Al, thank you so much. You take care, my friend. That you is, take care. You too. That is Al from Bloomfield. Man, what a story. What a life. What an American. What an American story. That guy right there. That is the American story that should be told again and again and again. So what can you say? I mean, I love him. I hope he calls again. I hope he calls again. And he was just an incredible guy. Such... I mean, my goodness, would you not follow that guy into battle? Sure. Just- yeah, it was funny. I said to, um, so I was listening to this in the car yesterday, driving our daughter home from softball. And um, she said, she goes, wow. And she goes, he's 70. She said, is that older than Joe Biden? And I said, no. And she said, can he be president instead of Joe Biden? And I said, yeah, that would be a good idea. I mean, like, he certainly would be. Better than what's there now. So he's too good for politics. He just is. I mean, he's he's somebody maybe in academia, or he should. T- but isn't t- that always a cliche? Is like you need the people in politics who are the people who would never get into politics. Yeah, maybe that's a cliche. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would just talk to the guy forever. I think that somebody should be interviewing him for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. In, in, in the Burn Barrel Oral History Project. Just such. Get on that. Just such character. My goodness. Just resolve strength of character. Character, um, you know what's the what's most it called? Imp- if you're, you know, he's so self confident and self assured, and that is yeah. a man who is not a psycho. Yeah, and you know what I think is so important about it, and why like somebody should talk to him. I mean, like you seriously should do an oral history project with him and anyone else you can find who is like that. Because I think what's so compelling about it too is that. Um, he has real experiences of this stuff, mm. not like academic experiences of it. And it becomes much harder if you really know and understand that history to not realize how much better America has gotten and not realize that America is not in the throes of systemic racism right now or something or the most racist time in its history or whatever it is that leftist Gen Zers think that we're in right now, right? Because you can't say to somebody who really experienced segregation, segregated schools, segregated drinking fountains, who's three generations away from slavery, literal slavery in this country, who's, you know, great, 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 great whistles. grandfather right. was literally growing crops in a swamp to build mm. up a a livelihood for his family post slavery. I mean, like that's it's such it's so you know it's overdone to say like kids today don't know, but like really they don't know, they don't know, and they're being purposely sheltered from it. Right? The left says they're all about teaching real history and stuff, but they're just doing these like woke therapeutic exercises for wealthy white people to assuage their guilt. Mm-hmm. They're not 
actually talking about first-person accounts of real-life experiences of what these things were like. They're not talking about... Because obviously none of what they're calling racism now would hold up under the scrutiny of what real people really went through, you know, a couple of generations ago in this country. And faced with that, how could you not think that America is improving and progressing and getting better and that we're in a much better place and and have much more opportunity than we've ever had in the history of planet Earth? There would be no way that would hold up. Like we talked about before, some law schools talking about how students don't want to read Dred Scott without trigger warnings on it because it seems mean about the way it talks about Mm -hmm. black people. Like this is an important important decision to read and understand and and it's important for young people to hear the real life stories of people like al who called into your radio show because they truly have no concept of how difficult life was for people just a short time ago not only that but also but not but no concept of the other real real lived experience of these people whatsoever so for instance you and i were in a text thread at some point in a member of your family, we were talking about like 1967 being a good year, and a member of your family, who we love, uh, said mm-hmm. texted something like it wasn't good for everybody, it wasn't good for black people, something like that. Okay, mm-hmm. that was the that was the point, and and um, you know, it, fair, well, uh, you know, on the merits, <laughs> I would say that uh, yes, you know, you know, having to use the the dog bowl for the for your drinking water, you know, that's. That gathers the spittle of the people you consider real humans. Yes, that is not good, among other things. But also, I love that he said that he loved his childhood. He loved the 50s and 60s. Right. You never hear... I mean, you think of 50s and 60s. What we're supposed to get in our minds is wall-to-wall German shepherds, you know, attacking black activists in the streets and Klansmen and Emmett Till and this and that. And I'm not saying... Obviously, those those horrific things happened. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who loved his childhood, even right. through Jim Crow and all the crap that he had to deal with. Right, but life is complicated, and mm. life was endlessly more difficult for people of all cultures, social classes, and everything else um, in the past, not long ago in the past either. I mean, relatively recently, life was much, much more difficult for the wealthiest people of 100 mm. years ago than it is for us today. And they still found time to have moments of joy and have a community and have meaning in their lives and uh, and find happiness. They didn't mope around uh, taking Wellbutrin and anxiety medications mm-hmm. and whatever else like because their life had no meaning because there's just so much racism and climate change mm-hmm. and whatever else they have a problem with. You know, there there's no conception among people that that Things were really, really difficult, and and people still like dealt with it and went on with their day and 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 found ways to live life and be human in that time. And also, I think when you say life is was difficult back then, yes, even for you know oil magnates, you know, living in beautiful brownstone mansions in in New York in in eighteen ninety or, or whatever, it, it it is, you know. It is. It was no less painful for them to watch their children gasp to death uh, with consumption than it is to lose a child now. Oh my gosh! And they lost so many children yes. back then. And I these, think we read the thing. The 
What was the inscription at the Paul Revere house? He had like 16 children or something and like eight of them made it to adulthood. It was like unbelievable the tragedy mm-hmm. and difficulty that people went through just as a matter of course, really not long ago and still found ways to get up in the morning and do what they needed to do to feed their families and like overthrow the entire British government. Like it's incredible when you think about it. So I want to talk. So we're going to go now. Okay. Um, can I read one tiny passage okay, of something yes. first that that is on this topic? Mm-hmm. Because this is a passage that um, struck. I always think of when I think of stuff like this. So this is from Anna Karenina, which like Tolstoy's just never misses, right? But um, this is talking about uh, Dolly and Anna Karenina, who's the the jilted wife, right? Mm-hmm. Who has all the kids and her husband's a cad, and he goes and sleeps with the nanny and whatever and it says um peaceful she could not be one would fall ill another might become so a third would be without something a fourth would show symptoms of a bad disposition and so on rare indeed were the brief periods of peace but these cares and anxieties were for daria the sole happiness possible had it not been for them she would have been left alone to brood over her husband who did not love her Hmm. and besides hard though it was for the mother to bear the dread of illness the illnesses themselves the grief of seeing signs of evil propensities in her children the children themselves were even now repaying her in small joys for her sufferings those joys were so small that they passed unnoticed like gold in the sand and at bad moments, she could see nothing but pain, nothing but sand. But there were good moments, too, when she saw nothing but the joy, nothing but gold. Wow, that's lovely. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. You can, as always, shoot us an email. We'll be doing the chat chat tomorrow. So oh, yes. load those up, guys, uh, today, the next 24 yes. hours. Call into the chat chat. We Correct. will do the last chat chat of the week tomorrow. That's at burnbarrelpodcast.com uh, and leave a voice message there with the red button. You can also shoot us an email, burnbarrelpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, reach out to us on social media, burnbarrelpod at, uh, on Twitter and facebook.com slash burn barrel podcast write us a review on apple Podcasts if you have time we appreciate it imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.